Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hooligan Report. I'm your host as always, SM, and with me this time I have Boyan. Hi guys. And I've also got Thomas Nine. Hey guys, what's doing? Um, we'll start with your side, Thomas, because we had uh, a bit of an interesting result for them against Liverpool. Um, funnily enough, six years to the day, I think, or six years roughly since the uh, 8-2 loss to United and, and kind of getting done over again by another big side. Um, obviously, the threat on the board that Cruyff started a couple of years back is back up at top and everyone's sort of contributing to this discussion about Arsenal's failings. Um, what have you made of it, and in particular this game? Yeah, look, um, back when the 8-2 happened, I was probably still in that naive stage where I was defending the manager at all costs because I just love Arsene Wenger. But I think the difference between then and now is just I think that Liverpool definitely could have got done as much damage as Man United did that day. Um, we we probably got off lightly on the 4-0. It was absolutely appalling. I don't think I've seen Arsenal play that poorly. Um, no shots on since, target. Yeah, no shots on target at all. Um, Liverpool absolutely ran us ragged. Um, the positioning offensively by Xhaka and Ramsey, they were far too forward and leaving space open for the likes of Salah and uh, Mane just to do whatever the hell they want. And it's it was an absolute joke, and I just it just got me thinking like like is Wenger blind? What what's is he trying to like screw us up? Has he got some vendetta against Arsenal <laughs> that we don't know about? Like. It's just self-destructive, and I'm, point, I'm just starting yeah. to think that it's cruel to Arsenal fans. Like, I'm just an Australian Arsenal fan that's been following since the Invincibles like a bandwagon. But what about all these fans over in the UK that it's their livelihood? They, like, just live for, for football. They live for Arsenal. Like, um, supporters like Claude and um, Bully and those guys are just are obsessed with Arsenal. They spend 80%. Well, Claude said in a, f- a few years ago in an interview he spends 80% of his disposal income um on you know going to watch arsenal um he just doesn't have much at all um to spare and he's been continuously let down and he has mental health issues like as i think a lot of us know um like yeah he 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 definitely takes it to heart claude that that's someone i'm really worried about but yeah i feel terrible about it but i just can't imagine how much this damage is like what kind of damage this is doing on those more um you know into it fans the the real diehards, the true diehards over there. And it's, um, it's just unfair at this stage. It's crazy because, I mean, Wenger in an interview said, you know, he sort of hesitated before putting pen to paper in a new contract. And you wonder, maybe he should have done more than hesitating when um, the supporters were just out for blood last season and it's just been more of the same to start this season. Um, but yeah, we sort of saw uh, recently, I don't know if you saw, there was a tweet posted in the uh, Arsenal thread talking about all of their outgoings next summer who are all basically going to leave for free in the form of Ozil and Sanchez being the main two. Uh, and the amount mm. of money that's sort of expected that they would have to outlay to replace them. And it's pretty frightening to think that it could actually get a lot worse for Arsenal. Mate, I was the one that posted that tweet. So oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, it's I don't really see any direction from Arsenal and I think the loss to Liverpool you know that was already set in stone before the game as soon as as you saw the team sheets when they don't when they you know you spend 50 odd million pounds on a star striker and you don't play him that's questionable when your defence is already a bit ropey and you've got a pretty solid season pro they just brought across from Schalke and Palasinac and he's not playing and they're moving Bellerin to left wing back and Oxlade-Chamberlain playing against the team that he's about to join 
I mean, yeah, for, in my opinion, yeah, as soon as I saw that team sheet, I knew they were going to lose. I didn't realise how badly they were going to lose, and they just don't seem to have any direction, you know, leaving players until they get down to the last 18 months of the contract before starting to renew them. You know, I, you know, there's lots of theories going around here that maybe there's some youth players that are going to play. You know, we saw Iwobi coming onto the, onto the scene a few years ago, but he's kind of drifted away a bit. They've got Reese Nelson and Chris Willett coming through, but Chris Willett's just been loaned to Benfica. So I don't really see what, what the plan is from Arsenal. You know, even when, when teams make kind of what appears on the outside to be strange decisions, you know, there's usually some kind of logic behind it. But I really, you know, I actually, I've got quite a few good mates who are Arsenal fans over here and... You know they're pretty despondent at despondent at the moment, and I don't blame them because I can only see them drifting further and further down the table over over the the next few seasons. And it's a bit bit of a strange one because speaking speaking from my perspective with Hull (laughs) is you see our owners sort of cutting off their nose to spite the face in terms of transfer business and not spending any money and looking at it from the outside and saying, I just don't understand the logic there because you're actually costing yourself money by not investing properly last season in a Premier League squad to keep us up, as an example. Um, And then you've seen the same sort of thing happening at Arsenal where um, I think it was Shoei or someone posted a list of transfers that they could have brought in in the form of Mane, uh, Van Dijk... um, and a couple of other players like that, where over the past few seasons, before Mane went to Liverpool, etc., that Arsenal could have brought into the club to, to strengthen the team, to improve the squad, um, which they haven't done because they've not wanted to spend the money, and, and it, it leaves them in this ridiculous position. Um, Thomas, I mean... I do have... Sorry? Sorry, just quickly, I do, I do have one kind of theory about this and Arsenal not, not spending money. You go back a few years ago and you really needed top four to to bring in the large sums of money. Now pretty much just for playing in the Prem, everyone gets you know, between 130, 150 million pounds each a season. Maybe Cronky and, you know, the Arsenal, the other Arsenal owners are happy with that sum and they think that they don't have to spend far too much to get in that top four. Maybe that's it. Maybe they think it's easier just to, you know, remain mid to tape mid table, let's say tenth to sixth, and collect the hundred and fifty million plus every year and that's enough for them. Do you reckon, Thomas, that that would be I mean, it's surprising if that was gonna be the case that Wenger's happy to sort of accept that he's not getting the players in that he wants. And it almost seems as if there's there's that uh, direction coming from both sides, both the owners and the manager, that they're not trying to push the boat out too far with funds and buying players and, and they're kind of happy to settle for that um, mediocrity I guess of course yeah you can look at it that way and I think I don't know if Stan Kroenke actually said this but he may have implied that Leicester City were able to win the league two seasons ago on a very limited budget just playing that really good counter-attacking football but um, I'm not sure if that's true but one thing that really gets to me was uh, um, I think it was Ivan Gazidis he said um in an AST meeting or maybe just to a fan or something like that, just as a passing comment that, um, you know, finishing fifth, missing out in the Champions League qualification would be a big wake-up call and we could expand, um, expect sorry, um, a lot of expenditure coming in over the summer and we, it looks great, like we're right off the bat with Kolasinac and then um, the rumours of Mbappe, but I don't think anyone really believed that and then Lacazette and it looks like things were really going to turn around at least, like we, everyone was still sceptical of the manager's abilities of course but it really did look like we were willing to start 
you know, smashing the, the dollars out to the other teams to try and get players in um, and, you know, rectify this lull we've been in um, over the past few seasons. But it's just, it just, it just stopped. There was just complete stagnation in the transfer window, you know, similar to the stagnation that's, you know, hindered Arsenal since probably 2005, um, yeah. since we won that FA Cup against United. Yeah, so it's going to be going to be interesting. <laughs> Thanks, I don't mate. know how much how much worse it can get for Arsenal before it gets better. Um, but we might switch ta- uh, switch gears and talk about a more positive uh, off season and a more positive start to the season in the form of United Boyan and um, good win against Leicester um, a fortnight ago, essentially, um, and still no goals conceded. Just off to a flying start. Yeah, definitely, mate. I mean, the the key difference between I guess this season and last season, so far at least, is that you know the lower to middle ranked teams were actually beating and beating quite well. Whereas last year, though, like the West, the West Ham's of the world and Leicester, those were the games we were bloody drawing or if if not losing. And you know, we've got another one coming up this weekend in in um, Stoke and. You know, lots of people were talking about Lukaku. Oh, he doesn't score in the big games, but that's not where we we need him to score based on our results last year. You know, if if we'd beaten a, a lot of the minnows, then we would have been a lot more competitive for the league. So it's been that sort of things has been has been great. Um, Bailey continues to improve at centre half, and yeah, the defence looks really tight. And I I, I question the signing of Nemanja Matic, but geez, he's been superb and he's really freed up Podbra and this is we're actually seeing the Podbra now which is you know justifies his, his price tag from last year I think it's been fantastic. Uh, Thomas what have you made of United's start to the season and, and do you see them sort of going on with it and, and being a real title contender? Absolutely they've been tremendous um, so far as Bayan mentioned Podbra's definitely been freed up by Matic's arrival and it was interesting like Matic was like just imperative to Chelsea in 2013-14, which he was the main reason as to why we lost 6-0 because he just kept on pressing our midfielders, dishing it off to the you know Eto and Salah and that kind of those kind of outside players. Has a just absolutely eclipsed us, and but then he just sort of he didn't really perform much. I think maybe it was to do with Mourinho, um, his downfall correlated with you know Matic's, and maybe it's a thing like Mourinho just gets the best out of Matic, but. Even though, like, uh, United, some of their players, like Pogba and Lukaku, haven't been at their absolute best, I think they've still made a really significant impact. And the whole team seems to be gelling together, and they, mm-hmm. the players really seem to be, you know, doing it for Mourinho. They're really determined to, you know, get that, you know, the Red Devils back up and going. And it's it's been a good laugh since, you know, 2013 after... <laughs> um, <laughs> After Fergie, but I think that's that band has just come to an end, um, unfortunately. But you know, better better Manchester United win it than you know Spurs or Chelsea. To be honest, so. <laughs> well, as you say <laughs> on, the comment, on the comment about them gelling together, I think I saw a stat that was at the Swansea game where it was the first time you'd named an unlo- un- unchanged United lineup in quite a few years, Boyan. So it's good to see sort of a definitive starting eleven sort of taking shape. That's right, and that was that was a kind of hallmark of Fergie's reign. We just named the same eleven week after week, and everyone knew, like before the team sheet came out, exactly what was going to happen. And if there are any changes, it was like a huge surprise. Um, so, so that we, you know, we got some continuity now, which is great, and got some real threats coming off the bench. I mean, 
Marcus Rashford has started the season really, really well, and he just seems to go from strength to strength. It's you know, it's crazy in my eyes to think that he's still only 19 years old. He performed really well um, a couple of days ago for England and it, as isn't well. It just, and isn't it just such, such a shame, Bayern, that he doesn't have a manager who can develop youth, if you uh, believe what everyone I says? I know. <laughs> you know what, it was hilarious about 18 months ago when um, Man City dropped Pep Guardiola in and they were talking about Talishi um, versus Rashford and they said, oh, you know, well, Guardiola's trying to develop Iheanacho and all these other young players and, you know, they've barely been sighted while Rashford goes from strength to strength. And you saw last year that Mourinho had plenty of confidence in him. So, and he's just, like, I, I, don't, I don't see how you can watch Rashford and not like him. Whenever he gets the ball, he just runs at defenders, takes it inside and shoots and creates and all this kind of stuff, yeah. Whenever he's got the ball, it's kind of, he's, he's kind of one of those players that makes you, like, jump off your seat whenever he um, gets the ball. So, yeah, it's great. His goal wasn't that tremendous, but, like, he was just not marked at all. Like, Leicester just were caught napping. But then again, like, uh, well, actually, Fellaini's goal wasn't that great either. But I think United definitely deserved um, the three points. Leicester definitely put up a fight, and Shakespeare was, you know, he, uh, he, he made his discontent clear at what happened. Like, they put up a really good fight. They laid out the game plan. They stuck to it for most of the game, but they just led in those two goals. But to be honest, like... Um, it was Matter offside in that first, like in that in the first half, and I don't think he was, um, to be honest. I mean, it's hard yeah, to tell no, 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 right. yeah. yeah, and you've got, yeah, and you got that penalty from Lukaku, which Michael saved, which probably should have been called back. Don't try to. I'm not trying to nitpick, but he he moved long before Lukaku struck it. So, so you know, United definitely were the deserved victors. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Leicester goes because they were. Um, sort of suggestions that Shakespeare would be under a bit of pressure for his job because it was sort of an unusual appointment at the time and they've really sort of started the season in not the same vein of form as they did the season they won the title but they're certainly not looking like they'll struggle with relegation as they did last season um, but there are a couple of managers already feeling the pinch and it's pretty remarkable that we're only three games in and there's already talk that De Boer at Palace might lose his job before the next game um, and then, obviously, also Slavin Bilic at West Ham and even Benitez at Newcastle, who, who got the win over West Ham, but just frustrated by the lack of transfer funds. Um, I'll start with you, Boyan, and just on the topic of managers under pressure, I guess we'll start with Bilic, but talking about all of them, um, it's kind of crazy that there are a couple couple of managers already looking like they might be out of a job soon. Well, if Slavin Bilic wasn't like a West Ham semi-legend, he would have been sacked last year. I don't understand how he lasted and, the summer. No, not at all. And, you know, the way their transfer business was done was was just ludicrous. You know, supposedly they had a deal completely tied up for Ian Nacho, and then he decided that he didn't want Ian Nacho. This is a boat that brought in Simone Zaza last year, who absolutely flopped. And they, they, if you look through West Ham's striker signings, mate, they go through three or four a season, and they pretty much all are crap. So I don't know how why, um, you know... The Pawn Brothers continue to give this guy cash to spend. It's absolutely ludicrous. So yeah, I can't. Well, things I can see. I can see him lasting the season, and then finishing like sixteenth, seventeenth. I just don't understand why they would put up with that. They have enough on on paper to to survive relatively comfortably, but he can't seem. He can't seem to motivate them. When you watch West Ham play against the the smarter managers, as soon as the manager changes something. You know, he's got no response. He's only got plan A. 
It's like watching North Melbourne under Brad Strutt, mate. <laughs> um, Thomas, what, what's your take being on Billich? And then I suppose it, there must be something in the water in London because Deboer at Crystal Palace is also under pressure. Yeah, of course. Well, Billich, I bet he, he'd love to go back to that 2-0 victory against Arsenal in the opening, opening <laughs> day. In he had a great season that season. He managed to beat all he the did. top sides. Maybe it's an Upton Park thing. Um, yeah. I, I don't mm. know. But... I, 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 I don't think there'd be too many fans, West Ham fans, to be loving the Olympic Stadium move thus far. Um, <laughs> I reckon there might be a few, even though, few other supporters groups that are dreading their moves, because I know Everton and obviously Spurs as well. Well, yeah, Spurs are getting that NFL injection, though, so I honestly think Spurs will be fine, um, unfortunately. Um, but this, this <laughs> season, this season they got the Wembley hoodoo to overcome, but they'll adjust to the, the pitch size. But yeah, back to Billich. I don't know, like, um, Bayan referenced how ludicrous the transfer window has been, yet, yeah, but they have made some decent acquisitions in Hart and Chicharito, and um, well, I actually don't know the others. Anatovic, Anatovic, yeah. Yeah, miss the obvious one. But yeah, um, I honestly think if it does get to the stage where they're looking in danger of being relegated, um, the board members will definitely probably just have to pull the plug on. Um, Billich's West Ham tenure. It's just, it just it will have to. Like I don't think they can afford to go back to the championship. No. Um, do do but, either of but, you see Benitez walking um, after the fact that he wasn't able to get the funds he wanted in the window? He's such uh, such a he's such a bloody yeah. sort that bloke. He got pretty <laughs> much a blank. He got pretty much a blank check last year. And spent you know ridiculous sums of money in the championship got the side promoted and then wanted a blank check this year as well. He's brought in some players. He should just suck it up and do his job. I don't I see why Blake's still complaining. He's, he's not managing a top six club. They, I think they actually pointed out that he's spent similar amounts to teams like Huddersfield and stuff, so it's not as if he's, it's not as if they've spent nothing. And Huddersfield has spent quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, you, you remember when they in the championship last year, they basically bought a whole bunch of Premier League yeah. players, pl- playing them, paying them Premier League wages, like... Matt Ritchie and, uh, and Dwight Dale, Diami, like yeah. yeah, yeah. These are, you know, those are guys on big wages. You know, I'm don't get me wrong. I'm not Mike Ashley's biggest fan by by any means, but if you're an owner and you're already paying, you know, you spent a year paying far and away above everyone else. You've got the team promoted. They've got enough in their squad with him with his ability to stay up. That's their goal this year. They're not pushing for top six. So you you do a couple of years, you know, building the foundation, then you go to the next level. I don't understand why, you know, this could all be a ploy by Benitez to get sat to get paid out, to be honest. And that, and that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, well, I, pro- I probably think that he's he's asking a bit too much of um, Newcastle. Like, traditionally, they're a very, you know, well-known club, well-regarded, highly regarded, but I just don't think they have the financial, they have financial constraints which they need to adhere to and, um, I think he probably is asking too much. What I saw of the West Ham game, they looked quite decent. Matt Ritchie seems to be a gun. I, I would not mind him to take him on loan at Arsenal <laughs> just as a trial. Like, he was just ferocious for these pressing. He was, I'd much rather him than El Nene or Coughlin, who's just turned into an absolute imbecile. Like, since, like, when, when he came from back from Charlton, he, he, he was terrific. And for that rest of the season, and, um, onwards into the, the first half of the 2015-16 campaign, but he's just started to think that he's anything else than a defensive midfielder. He's starting to think he's more of a 
deep line playmaker, and he's become just and a liability for mine. Gosh, yeah, you guys must love playing against Coughlin. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I think I think Benitez is asking a bit too much financially, and he's got to um, respect the fact that Newcastle aren't, you know, a Liverpool or a Real Madrid. Um, and if they can make top ten, it, it will definitely give them more leeway going into next season. I think it's not a one season back in the Premier League job where they can just go, you know, like go for broke in the transfer window. I think they've got they've got to build on their form from the championship, and they they, they showed some very positive signs at the weekend, like two weekends ago. Um, so I, I think I think Benitez is acting a bit spoiled, but we'll see. I'm no expert on Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of clubs in the transfer window, there were a couple of clubs that did pretty well out of the window and a couple of clubs that failed pretty miserably. So we'll, we'll talk a bit about the transfer window um, now since it wrapped up just a couple of days ago. Um, I, I guess the first club that comes to mind, in at least terms of deadline day, is Chelsea. And there's been a bit of discussion on the board about the state of their window and a fair bit of snubbing going on with their targets. Um, <laughs> what do we make of Ross Barkley apparently claiming he didn't actually end up having a medical with them and changing his mind and, and going back to Everton for six months and then wanting to make his move in January? Boyan, what, what's the story with Chelsea, do you reckon? Uh Cheers, mate. I mean, I, I don't think he's fit. I think it's simple as that. I, I, I don't think he's fit. And um, he's probably worked out that it's going to be pretty hard for him to break into that team. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't want to even go to Chelsea because there's too much competition. So um, he'll end up in Spurs, you reckon? Depends whether Spurs are willing to pay the, pay the fee. They did just spend twelve million on a thirty-two-year-old striker, so maybe they or fifteen million thirty-two-year-old striker. So maybe they are willing to pay the fee. It's a it's a new age. It's hard, it's hard, it's really hard hard to tell where he's he's trying to end up. I, I really liked him and wanted him a few years ago, but you know the injuries seem to be catching up with him. He's out with a long-termer now, so there's even questions as to whether he would have passed his medical. You know, so but yeah, there will be a fight over his services in January purely because they should someone should be able to pick him up for twenty to twenty-five million. Even though only has six months left on his deal, what do you make of Chelsea's window as a whole? Then, um, given the fact that they've kind of struggled to land quite a few of their targets, and do you think they ended up kind of salvaging the window? Well, I think that you know they they like last season's transfers, they weren't the big blockbuster transfers. Like you know, although they spent a bit of money, like Marcus Alonso. Yeah. To be honest, mate, I hadn't heard of him since he was at Bolton as a kid <laughs> and was crap, and it was crap. So then they brought him in for $25 million and then they win the lead and they're trying to buy Alexandro. You really think Alexandro is going to leave Juventus, who are pretty much, you know, semi-finals of Champions League every year, to go to bloody Chelsea? I wouldn't have thought so. And they just spent too long on transfers like that, too long on a bit of transfers. You know, I'm, I'm not as convinced on Murata as everyone else is. I mean, the money is really irrelevant for those kind of clubs, for the top four clubs. Sorry, Thomas. Um, but, but, you know, so he's paying $70 million. It doesn't really matter whether he can store the goals. I do like the way a lot of Chelsea fans seem to have changed their, changed their tune over the last few weeks. Suddenly, Diego Cross is not that good anymore, even though he almost carried <laughs> oh, them to two titles. Happens. And, you know, Maratas, his equal or better, despite him, you know, never scoring more than 20 goals in, in a league season. So, Nemanja Matic, same thing. He's not that good. Um, and they brought in Danny Drinkwater instead. Yeah. So it's a bit of a confusing, confusing window for them where they. And didn't of course, of course, Lukaku is never they, they, they one don't, 
Oh, never, never. <laughs> they don't think, you know, you're, you're supposed to strengthen while you're on top. Yeah, that's the best time to strengthen um, so you can stay well clear of the chasing pack. But they don't seem to have done that. And that's, you know, I'm not quite sure whether that's issues with Emanalo, um, who's pretty much been hated by every Chelsea manager. He's the director of football. He's been hated by every Chelsea manager. Um, or whether it's to do with Conte. So, who, yeah, who knows, mate. Thomas, what's your take on uh, Chelsea's window and, and some of the other clubs? Yeah, I, I heard about what happened with Ross Barkley and... Um, Joey Barton came out and said that apparently Ross Barkley was on the treadmill or doing his medical and he was just going to make sure before he signed the dotted line that like his um, role at Chelsea would be in the central midfield or central attacking midfield and apparently Conte had his phone turned off. Like, <laughs> I, I, get, I get the feeling, yeah, and that, that probably, like he just got the feeling that um, that he's probably not, he's not, he'd rather just play it safe and go back to Kerman at Everton. Um, I, I just, I think that there's a fair chance that um, the players might find Conte quite abrasive. He, like, well, how especially he after the way he dealt with Jerry Costa. Costa. Yeah. yeah. That, that was very, that was just awful, I felt like. Even though I can't stand Costa, I think he's a whining little bitch, but <laughs> just, just the way, <laughs> just the way that you just don't treat someone like that. And um, reading that Daily Mail interview where, like, the guy went to Costa's house and he discussed all his issues, like, I, I actually felt bad for Costa. It's not, not what, it's not a way, like, you want to be treated. They're earning a ridiculous amount of money, but it's like it's like just getting that kind of um, text message from your boss at work and just saying we don't want you anymore. Just completely, you know, hung out to dry. It's just it's just not fair. Um, so I think there's a fair chance that yeah, Abramovich and if he doesn't do well this season, Abramovich might start to question how he's handling the dressing room and the role at the club. He might have to do a an investigation into that, we'll see. But uh, I'm, you know, 50-50 about Conte. Um, on field, he seems to be doing very well, like he won them the league last season. But I, I, don't, I don't know. I've, I've definitely been um, shocked by the way he's treated some of these players. Um, as for transfers, um, pretty mediocre um, window for them. I'm not 100% sure on Alvaro Morata, and I was absolutely baffled by Drinkwater. Like, he's a serviceable midfielder, isn't he? But... Is he Chelsea started? Like, am I the only one thinking that it's it's just ridiculous? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, um, Manchester United, I think, um, getting Lukaku, very good. Matic has turned out to, into good, into a good transfer. But Man City probably take the chocolates in regard to their business. Um, I don't think UEFA are investigating them anymore. Um, I read on, oh, I saw on Reddit. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I, I don't think it's concrete, but that. There's um, widespread reports. It's not concrete, of course, until UEFA confirms. So that I don't know why they would just drop it, but we'll see. But um, in against Bournemouth, um, I think Bernardo Silva and Mendy, like they showed a few good signs of, you know, what they can do. And it's probably like they're probably a season or two behind. Probably a season behind United. I think they've got all this talent on their on their in their squad, but I just think it's going to take a lot of um, coming together for even with a master manager like such as Pep Guardiola, I think they might need some like time to fit in. Maybe it will only take a few months and then they'll be on their way. But I, I don't think they're going to come to the fore. They're just, they're not going to absolutely blitz the, the league straight away. Um, I, I can't see that happening, but yeah, well, speaking, but I think they'll, they'll need a bit of time. Yeah. Speaking of Man City, it's probably a good, point to transition into previewing their game this week against Liverpool. Um, 
as you touched on there, I mean, against Bournemouth, they got got out of jail a little bit with Sterling scoring that last-minute winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've looked a bit average mm-hmm. so far this season, I'd say, in terms of um, team structure and, and kind of togetherness. And we, we talked before about United and how their squad's gelling so well. And it just doesn't seem to be the case over at City at the moment. Um, and I'm sure it'll come at some point this season. But whether it comes this week, I'm not so sure. Um, Bojan, I mean, Liverpool are a great side when it comes to games against other top four, top six teams. Do you see this as a, as a pretty big danger game for Man City? Uh, well, in terms of dropping points, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I would definitely, definitely looking at this game as a high-scoring draw. You know, do you remember when Liverpool and Newcastle used to play? This is going back like 15 years now. When like guys like Stan Tollymore were were playing for Pool, and um, you know they they had two like four four draws in the same season. Basically, yeah, two teams with, with, with crap defenses, but were awesome going forward, um, and just really free flowing football. I can definitely see this game going that way. Liverpool in the final third look, you know, pretty pretty bloody good, but defensively they're still pretty weak. Man City have of the well, outside of Arsenal, the top six club probably got the worst central defensive pairing. Um, so they're very weak there. And, you know, Walker and Mendy haven't really been tested. Due to their formation, I can see Walker and Mendy being caught out of position. You know, Moomba M- was trying to trying to tell me that um, that Ty Walker was right to playing on the right wing for England and that Rashford, it was Rashford's fault. <laughs> and that, um, for, for, for that first throw on Rashford, should have trapped back to right back and let Walker go forward because that's the way full-backs play now. <laughs> but no, that's the way Pep Guardiola plays now. And when you do get caught out, that's what happens. You, you can see goals. So that I can see a very high-scoring draw in this game. Thomas, what do you make of it? And, and how do you see um, Liverpool stacking up against Man City? I, I cannot wait to watch this. Is it on SBS? Like, you're in Australia, aren't you? Yeah, I'm not too sure if it's on SBS, yeah. actually. I, I'm oh, Star Sports oh. 1, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the early match, I'll be absolutely buzzing, but I cannot wait for this. It's going to be a cracker. Um, Liverpool, in 2015, November, they, I think Klopp was a the manager then. They won 4-1 at Etihad. Um, so I think that they can take that, you know, precedent with confidence. Um, but we, I think we know what Liverpool are going to do. They're probably going to try and press the, the City midfielders, maybe sit back a bit, but try and just hit them on the counter. Um, it's probably and Mane and um, Salah and Firmino, I think they're going to cause a few problems. Like, like Mandy and Walker, both brilliant um, fullbacks. But there, there might just be an issue there with uh, gelling together. We'll see. It would be. It's definitely an intriguing contest, but I'd put Liverpool as the favourites at the moment. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if um, City turn it on. Yeah, just to jump in, you're right. It is the early game, 9 p.m. on SBS uh, this Saturday night. So oh. watching it in glorious HD with no delay will be brilliant to uh, to watch this game. Yeah, it'll be a great way to get back into the action because right, international breaks really come to a bit. Uh, I feel like they come too early in the season. It's so you're just sort of settling in three games in and all of a sudden get this big interruption. And I think there's another one in a. There's another of one in a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah in early October. So that's um, but then after that, I don't think there's another one until March. So yeah. So, it's, uh, it's always it's always frustrating at the start of the season when you're looking forward to it and there's just two classes really of international stop, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, The other game to look forward to is the clash between Everton and Spurs. I think it's Everton at 
home, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, Correct. Will be will be uh, another pretty interesting game because I think Everton have a half decent record against Spurs at home, but both sides will be looking to pick mm-hmm. up points in this one. I would think. Um, I'll start with you, Thomas, on this one. I mean, it's going to be a pretty interesting game between a side like Everton, who are sort of trying to break into that top tier, haven't really looked too convincing so far, uh, and then the Spurs side, who are also sort of stuttering with their form. Yeah, Harry Kane. I think he's going to he's going to um, score a brace or maybe even a ha- like, he's just going to he's going to cause <laughs> them a yeah, lot of problems because of that August like. thing. Yeah, um, I'd be watching out for Harry Kane. I'd have him as my captain in fantasy. Um, but yeah, um, we'll see. Like Spurs are probably going to do a lot of their damage away from home before they get used to Wembley, I feel. Um, I wouldn't put it past Spurs to take it to Everton at Goodison. I'm not sure of the pitch dimensions. Maybe maybe there's a chance it's a similar um, length and width pitch to White, the old White Hart Lane. We'll see. But um, I, I, I think... Uh, Tottenham definitely will definitely show something to Everton. We'll see. What do you make of Everton's start to the season? I mean, they've they've brought in quite a few decent, high caliber players, but um, I guess they're mm. another side who are sort of still finding their touch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rooney came back, and that was that was a really good moment from scoring in his first game back and scoring away at City. And those two supporters from a few <laughs> years back, like they just hadn't changed seats. That was quite hilarious. Um, to be honest, I've, I've been very busy with uni recently. I've only been watching a few of the games, but I haven't really noticed a lot about Everton. Um, Kerman, how, how's the consensus on Kerman? Like, yeah, Everton I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. There's a few Everton yeah. fans on the board who are getting pretty frustrated with him already. Um, Braidsman and, and uh, um, Aussie, I think, might both be getting a bit frustrated at the fact that they weren't able to bring a proper target man in because it seemed quite logical to me if you're going to go out and get Sigurdsson that you'd bring in... I mean, I know they sort of targeted Giroud and that would have been a great signing for them to have that sort of mm. tall striker who we know that Sigurdsson has great set pieces but they don't really seem to have anyone to get on the end of them. Um, Boyan, what have you made of, their, I guess, their summer business and then how they've started the season and how will they go against Spurs? Well, I mean... Giroud would have been the perfect signing for them. I mean, you know, you could argue that Lorente would have been good having Sigurdsson there, but Lorente stores the majority of his goals uh, from crosses, so less. And the way Everton played at least last year with, with Lukaku, it was more ball played on the ground and kind of counter-attack, quick counter-attack, attacking football. You know, they are playing a lot narrower than I thought they would. They didn't get any other pacey wingers in. Um, and yeah, it all seems like they're getting by on talent at the moment as opposed to listening to Coleman or playing in a tactical way to kind of, you know, I just maximise their, their potential. So Coleman, he'll be, he'll, be in the, he'll be in the hot seat if they don't make top six, I think. I mean, they've got an, an owner, new owners come in. I know they saw the Lukaku. But they have spent a lot, a lot of money, more money than Everton normally would, um, and yeah, they're going to need to. They're going to need to. Well, their owner, the ownership there will be looking for constant improvement, and if he can't bring that, he'll be still be shown the door. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a bit of pressure on quite a few managers. Oh, early in this and season, also, I think. yeah, I, I, I'd say Spurs win this very comfortably. I'd say three-one. Yeah, well, and Harry Kane. Harry I think Kane. Harry Kane definitely. Yeah. Has. Definitely. What's the fact that he, he scores for he scores for England as soon as it's September? He's going to score for Spurs now that that we're out of August as well, just like clockwork. But, stars. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for coming on, guys.
No worries. worries thanks mate. for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening in. Um, hopefully your side gets the win and we'll see you on the forum.